the Board Game Gambit podcast. Dicey situations where we discuss dice games. Joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Hi, everyone. So, what made you want to talk about dice games today? So, I was thinking about games that use mechanism that I don't necessarily like in a way that I do like. I was re-listening to our episode about special powers and how those get into the way of my euros. And then I thought, well, there are games that use something that I'm not in love with, which are dice, and make it into something that I really, really appreciate. And so, while there wasn't a specific instance of a game actually we have been playing a game that is all around dice the pathfinder adventure card game but it wasn't so much that also because they're you just roll a lot of dice and you don't manipulate them that much so i think it was that but i haven't played anything specific in that regard recently we actually played signori yesterday. oh finally yeah which is dice so that's why i thought it was apropos when you said let's do a thing about dice games and i was like oh i just played it so so why don't you tell me about that <laughs> so that was a dice selection game where there are all these different colors so it felt a little like Trismegistus but like maybe a little bit a couple steps down from that it didn't feel like everything you had you had to be planning out like a hundred percent but there was definitely a good portion of planning things out I really think that it was a solid game and I would be happy to play it again I don't think it took very long either. It was all of our first games. And so a three-person game played in, I want to say about two hours. Oh, that's very good. With Teach. So I have never played Signorie, but the, the publisher, What's Your Game, is usually into these very involved, big and long Euros. And the other ones that I've played, Nippon, Madeira, Vinos, and all of that stuff tend to be quite long, definitely over two hours, especially for the first play. So this is something different. I'm not particularly familiar with the designer. <laughs> Interesting enough is the guy, Andrea Chiavesio, who did uh, Kinsburg, which is a very different dice game, I suppose. It is another dice game that I like, though. That doesn't surprise me. This is more involved than that, right? Yes, definitely. Because you're training your male offspring to be able to be sent on different kinds of diplomatic missions. So there's uh, noble missions or clergy missions or military missions, and you're sending them to the board. You're gaining points from that. You're gaining different tiles. So there's a little bit of set collection because you're trying to get a few tiles that are different on each person's player board. Women offspring, you send them off on an arranged marriage and pay into their dowry and get points based on that and then that's the main stuff do you have your own dice or is there a drafting how does it go it's drafting okay it goes around but the nice thing about it is that everyone has the option of every color so there's no there's no way you're ever like shut out of a color if you really need to do a certain action and then there's also where you can upgrade your action and pay so that way when you take future dice of that color you get your regular action then you have bonus actions that you can do as well so it was good i liked it and interestingly enough another game not by the same designer but by the same company was uh, madeira by soledad and sentiero which was one of the first games I remember outside of Fell that used that used dice in a Euroy way or at least in a very involved Euroy way. So it's interesting that has become a little bit of their signature publishing style. I don't think Nippon has dice though. 
So, oh no, Nipponad that colored meeples. I'm going a little <laughs> off track. What we played recently was a game that we had tried once before, which is Game of Thrones The Iron Throne. So, both Anna and myself, we are big fans of the Game of Thrones franchise, both the books and TV show. And like most people out there, I didn't like the last season, but I tend not to be too despaired by when something ends poorly. So, I still like the IP. It's not sour for me and famously there is another uh, game of thrones the board game that we don't particularly enjoy there are some things that are very clever but i find the way resources are distributed at unpredictable times to be down for me in that game so this game which i don't think you have played no it's a re-theming of cosmic encounter and cosmic encounter it's a game that i find just okay. So in Cosmic Encounter, the main mechanism is very simple. You flip a card that tells you who you attack that round, and then the way the battle is resolved, it will be the number of your involved alien spaceships and the card from your hand. And what makes the game interesting is that A, you can ally with people on both attack and defense, and B, that each character has crazy powers that completely modify how these interactions happen. And the reason I don't particularly like Cosmic Encounter is that you can do a lot with these powers, and they are sometimes too out there. Like there is one that lets you cheat and steal cards from the deck if no one notices and things like that which are really a little too much around the game rather than about the game for me but also the big problem i had in that game is that the, the deck contains cards like a 40 and a 2 so of course there are more of the two of the fives and the threes but you can do all of these amazing game of alliances and trick me and then i play a 40 and you play a 5 and the fact that you add doubled your card and force someone to help you and for someone else to not help me and all of that goes into flames. Game of Thrones, the Iron Throne, takes the same concept and makes it much more refined. Doesn't change that much. The spirit of the game is very much the same. It's one of those games where you must be dedicated to win, but with the understanding that winning alone or winning with fewer people is better than winning with everyone because you could potentially get everyone to one point from winning and then all together attack the fifth player and everyone but one person wins. But if you go into the game looking for that, the game becomes quite boring. It's one of those games, a little bit like Rex, where, okay, I will lie with you, but if I can go and win alone, it's better. The one thing that they took, that they changed, well, they, they changed the way powers work instead of being related to your race, they're related to your house in Game of Thrones, and so you have different leaders and all of that. But those, all of that is interesting but superficial. The main mechanism that they change is that now every player has their own deck of cards that are 1 through 10, a 12 and 20, and the special power cards. So that means that you found a 20, but now I know that until the end of the game, your 20 is gone. Or vice versa, I played a 1, a 2, and a 3, and now it's foreseeable that the cards that I will get will get better and better. Or you got good numbers, but I got the cards to activate my special powers. So there is a balance inherent in having just one deck, which speaks to my problem with a lot of games recently, where combining everything into one deck makes for a much more random experience and offers less control to the players. So it was both a good game and a vindication of my own beliefs. So a win-win. The power that lets you take from the deck sounds miserable to me. I would 
I'm not a big meta gamer. What's the opposite of meta? Is it? I have no idea. <laughs> like where you're playing a game and the game, you're trying to do something that has nothing to do with the game. So I completely despise that and I would never play it. I had that game had actually been on on my like radar to check out and see if it was something that I like to play. But based on that description alone, I have no interest. To be fair, there are a lot of expansions and I have no idea whether that's in uh, oh this crazy expansion i only played a couple of times with all thrown in but there are more than one that's the the outstanding one and i know of people who take it out and things like that but there are people that take some out and everything but there are a bunch of ones that are either crazy like that or vice versa that people consider completely overpowered or vice versa extremely boring i was looking right now at the list of broken and boring aliens on cosmic encounter in bgg and this is by people who like it enough that they spend their time talking about it in the forums right there is one that does does nothing but make you a less attractive ally and things like that and so sure i'm sure that someone who likes to play the game and likes that crazy swing there must be someone who has perfected oh i have all of the expansions and they have reduced from the 60 available aliens to these 35 very good ones and i have removed these couple of cards that don't really work and we have a way to uh, address the variance between getting a 40 but at that point you're basically designing your new own game which is what right. Fantasy Flight did with Iron Throne. So I'll just play that. Yeah. I heard that they had redone Cosmic Encounters for a two-player game, specifically. Yeah, that's coming out soon. I have no idea how that's going to work. <laughs> Yeah, because you can't really align with anybody, which is not my favorite mechanism, to be quite honest, alliances, because you have to be persuasive and have this like negotiating skill that I feel like sometimes don't see the big picture, like what will happen if if we do this specific action. So I'm sometimes at a disadvantage, especially at the more complex games. Well, they're not games that I look for, although I do like, for example, Diplomacy, the couple of times I played it. But to be fair, in this one, the decision matrix is very much reduced, meaning that the one thing that you get for winning an attack is getting a point towards winning and everyone who's attacking gets it and the one thing that defenders get is well preventing attackers from getting a point and two cards basically and there are some variants on what can happen during the battle but in terms of deciding whether to help or not is usually a very simple question is okay i can go from three to four of the points that are needed to win so i will offer it to this other person that can also come from three to four so the decision is a little easier it was very rare that people were actually it never happened in our game double or complex oh you do this but if you consider this oh but you haven't counted on that and all double and triple trying to sway one person from a side to another so it's a very very much yeah. a combination of okay if i join this side will that make a difference or am i just joining sure defeat and then after that question is do i prefer to get a point giving also this other person a point or do i want to stop all of these fine folks from getting a point yeah that seems better because yeah i feel like sometimes in games like that where you can negotiate or have little alliances i feel like sometimes the gameplay can be stalled oh yeah absolutely and it can become extremely annoying for for people who, who don't feel comfortable with that having to okay now anything i do 
will ruin someone's game or they will perceive it as if they are I'm ruining the game. And so is if I do this, this other person will be convinced that I simply gave the game to person A. And if, if I do this other, that I give it to person B, so I will do nothing. And that's frustrating, which is, I guess, why myself, but also it seems to be your approach when we play Rising Sun, the negotiation aspect is very underplayed by by both of us, it seems to me. Yeah, it is for sure. When I play that, it's do you want to align yes or no? And then like, I'll ask for opinions and input on like things, but then ultimately the decision comes down to me. So I enjoy that part of Rising Sun, but only because I still have ultimate decision and I still have autonomy over what I'm doing. Whereas I feel like some alliance games can feel you're on this team and you don't feel like you're playing just for you Oh, anymore. absolutely. And I feel that can happen even if it's a negotiation-heavy game that does not have alliances because is is one of those games where, well, you should really do this because otherwise Nathan is going to do this to this and that. So you need to do this and that. And at that point, not only the person who's new to the game is basically going to do what? Ignore the fact that this thing was pointed out to them? Or even worse, <laughs> at that point, someone else who's experienced in the game will make counterpoints that are actually valid, but that work better for them. And so the player who's less experienced or less forceful in their play is not playing a game anymore, is just trying to debate between two different exterior forces proposing their own model and asking them to to join. And that can become very sad very quickly to me. They become basically an AI character. Yeah, and that's not good for (laughs) them. It's not good for the game that tends to become extremely long because every decision of everyone is discussed three or four times because oh, if you do this you are actually helping frank oh no but consider that julia has done this other thing and and it never ends yeah and that creeps into games that i really do like for example i really really like medici by ignizia but i have seen people playing it where every turn of every bid of everything they go oh wait no but if you let him have it they will have majority on blue so you should not offer and the other guy goes oh no 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 wait because if you offer a lot to on me i will pass on that and now john will take all of this and and so what should be an auction game where you are simply trying to determine okay what is it worth to me what is worth to the others becomes a back and forth of again extreme negotiation first it makes a game that can be 45 minutes long two hours which is never great and second it completely takes out the interesting crunching of the numbers how much is this worth to me and becomes a free-for-all trying to sway people and i think there are games that are like that there are games that are just negotiation just play that <laughs> don't, don't make everything yeah. about that I once met a player who was strongly convinced that five tribes should be played as in a total negotiation game. And I was like, great, I won't play that. (laughs) Yep. Why? Well, it's one of those approaches where they, in my opinion, misunderstood, but from their opinion, that's how it was, euros in general, and so thought that interaction means that. And only that is interaction, telling people, oh, you should do this and not do that, etc. While to me, there is a lot of strategic interaction in different games that doesn't need necessarily to try and convince someone to do something, which is weird because when I interact with people in everyday life, not in games, it's not I'm always trying to convince someone to do something. Sometimes I just do something with people. <laughs> so it's weird that in games <laughs> that are already restricting activity, I have to instead go back to the 
my only way to interact with people is to try and tell them what to do. And that's not me. Yeah. So what else have you played? Speaking of Kinesia, we played a little game, Kariba. So what I compare it to is Dragonheart. Okay. But very, very simplified. Oh, because Dragonheart is very, very deep. I understand. It is. It is. I'm, I meant like simplified, like the rules are simplified. Okay. The art is great. <laughs> so basically what it is, is you can play one or more of the same animal down into the watering hole area. And the if you have a set of three or more, that spot activates and you get the the biggest animal chases away the next smallest. And you get those and you keep them. And it's a circle because the one scares away the eight. But the one can't scare away any other one. Mm-hmm. And the one is a mouse and the eight is an elephant. So it's cute. It plays very quick. And it's, I thought it was cute. And it was fun. And it was a quick filler game that we played. So how did you find this one? It's oldish and I hadn't heard of it. How, how did you stumble upon it? Someone posted on online and I just really liked the art. Oh, yeah. I thought the art was super cute. I thought it, it was still when I was doing the Board Game a Day challenge. And I was looking for something quick to play. But I'm actually really happy with this purchase because it, it is fun. It's light enough that you can catch up with people while you're playing it. Does it play over one big round or is it multiple smaller rounds? Oh, uh, just one big one. Okay. It looks it looks very, very nice. The artist is Felix Kindelan and it looks very cute but i was like oh speaking of knizia <laughs> apparently there are two editions do you have the one with the um, almost graphic design art or the one with the animals drawn to look like animals the animals that are like cutesy okay so but so does the cover has a lot of animals or just an elephant just the elephant okay okay so that 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 is the one that i was thinking of and it's very very cute apparently i'm seeing in the images there is also a version by Goliath Games that actually made it instead. Oh, it's only in Dutch. Okay. <laughs> that has more photographic images. Well, they're still drawn, but they, they want to look like a, a more realistic animal. But I actually like the one you have more. I would have to try. Yeah, it's simple. It's very it's very small, so it's travel friendly. Another one that we tried, which is new actually, and new to us and comparatively new, is Inuit the Snowfolk, which was a game that had been on my list for a little while. Well, first of all, it's in a bigger box than it needs to be, which annoys me. But beside that, it's a very nice looking game and way more interesting that it sounded even from the rules. So the way it works is, on your turn, you reveal some cards from a deck, you add them to the pool of cards that you can get, and then you collect some of them. And you collect different categories depending on how many people you have in a certain occupation. And each occupation lets you get more more cards in a way or another. One lets you increase your occupation numbers, another one gives you... Uh, special activatable cards that do something when you get them. Others give you just victory points. Others allow you to take cards that you cannot fit, but that other players might want and convert them in low amount of points for you. And the last occupation allows you to see more cards when it's your turn. And it sounded very repetitive when I read the rules, but there are a lot of decision moments um, which are very interesting in, especially when playing with two, is okay, I could get these points now, But I bet if I do this other thing that my opponent will instead go for this other thing and then I can get these points later. And that might be right, you might be wrong, but 
there is not so much new input. One of the things that I hadn't foreseen in reading the, the rules is that after a while, you flip one, two, three, sometimes four cards in a round. But at one point, we had like 11 cards on the board. So is not the fact that they come randomly for, from the deck doesn't shock me as much as in other games because the impact of the randomness of, oh, you flip just that becomes lower and lower with the amount of cards growing. And you have control on how many cards you flip. You have controls on which kind of cards you can get. So you can definitely put yourself in a position where it doesn't matter what I flip. I will be fine either way. And that's interesting. You didn't sell me on it. <laughs> I think you would you would like it, especially with more players. With two, it is a little too much, maybe back and forth a la, a la Seven Wonders Duel, even if it's a very different game, but the same feeling of, okay, you get that, therefore I need to get this, which I really like. It's something I really, really like in game, the reactionary style. But I think you would probably like it more with three or four. It's quick. It was under half an hour with two, so I think it would be under an hour with four. Probably even less because the, the deck is the same and you run through it to the end. So I guess with four players, you will have fewer actions, but it won't get considerably longer. And the art is great. Absolutely great. This one is by published by Borden Dice. The designer is a long list of which the first one is Alexei Konov. And the artist is Paulina Wack. Inuit the Snowfolk. Yeah, way longer title that it needs to be. <laughs> one or the other would have been enough. The Snowfolk or Inuit. I know that they work with an indigenous consultant on the topic, which to me is, well, a, very good, good for them, kudos to them. At the same time, of all the many games that treat a theme, this one is still, sure, I guess that it's accurate, but is, oh, bear hunters get bears. That doesn't seem like something particularly explorative of a culture, but sure. So that's a re-implement? Yes, of a game that I hadn't heard about. And to be fair, that hadn't been particularly discussed either. But it had some fans. I When I was researching this game, I knew that of people who were asking, oh, have you kept this from Natives, or, or, or which is the, the previous game? It was almost completely artless. Well, no, it had very geometrical art um this one new new one it's way more colorful i much prefer it fun enough it wasn't a, a very old game it's from 2017 and inuit the snowfolk is 2019 so it was a quick turnaround i guess people liked it enough that it got a re-implement so yeah and it also comes with two in the box expansions uh, that are basically another 20 cards or so that you can add to the deck and they work slightly different. I haven't tried that yet. But very positive for me, definitely staying. It could be a dragon heart size box, maybe a little larger than that. And instead, it's in a ticket right box size. Oh, no. Which I don't understand. I, I don't know if they're trying to leave space for expansions or something, but I was I hadn't seen the box. I had seen the cover and I knew what the game was. So I was thinking, okay, it can go here in the uh, two-player card game, even if it's, it plays four, and then now I have to find space and there is no space. Yeah, I, <laughs> in my search for space recently, I joined the, the math raid for June. And first of all, I had done it in the past and I have to remember, I don't want to do 
uh, matrix that involves shipping because in the end you are okay trading one game for another maybe sometimes you can trade something for a gift card but at the same time you're paying shipping on every game that you get out and you're getting more stuff so from now on, either Matt trades in person, well, no shipping, or sh selling stuff. But I got a new game that I'm hoping to try soon, Castel, which is about human pyramids in Catalonia. And I have played it before. I remember very little about it, but I remember liking it. So there's that. But the space is not getting better. So You're trading things out for, for other things. I try to trade for things that are smaller in size. So there is that. Oh, okay. All right, so why don't we get on to the topic of today, which is dice game. Yeah, so how did you approach that? Do, do you consider any kind of game that has dice? So basically 50% of all games in existence? No, I left out games where I felt that the dice weren't a significant part of the game, where they just happen to be in or are used simply for like things like movement or things like that. So um, games that immediately I took off of the list that I was creating in my mind was Biblios. Mm -hmm. Because, the, yes, there are dice, but... They could be tracked. Yeah, it could easily be something else. You're not rolling them. You're not using them for different things. So that one was out for me. For me, it was very scientific. I first counted the number of dice in each box and then decided that it wasn't just to games like Risk. So I approximated how many dice you roll in a in a game and decided that was the best dice game. No, I'm joking, obviously. I was like, what? <laughs> no, so I had a very hard time figuring out what I was thinking about with dice games. So first of all, I left out, which is completely arbitrary, and I could see how someone would go other ways. Games where dice are simply resolution of fighting, which I have a few. Battalor is a great game that is, you use dice to resolve combat. Even Summoner Wars, which I've mentioned many times before, is the same. But I was looking for something where you can actually do something with the dice and not simply where the dice determine how you build up everything, and then you roll the dice to see what happens. So in a way, I think I went into where dice can A, be manipulated, and B, they allow you to have choices rather than you do the choice before and then you roll the dice to see what happens. So in a way, what is called input randomness rather than output randomness, meaning where the rolling of the dice in the games that I chose to focus on happens before I use them or anyhow where I can manipulate what happens with them. And the other thing that I left out was not for any particular con conviction, but because we already considered them. Some of the games that I like in real-time games, most of them involve dice because that's something that I like, the frantic rolling of dice. But since we already went over that, I left out that too. So wait, wait, wait. I have a question about your exclusions. Yeah. So you said you didn't consider games where you just roll and you deal with the outcome? Well, where I build up to what my pool of dice will be because of my units or because of my positioning, because of what I have built, and then I roll and simply see what happens, right? So 
My question is, does that mean you excluded Run, Fight, or Die? I didn't think of uh, Run, Fight, or Die. But for example, Run, Fight, or Die, you have the rerolls. And then you can use the dice in different ways. So that would actually, in again, as I said, I know that is my arbitrary determination. There is nothing inherently good or bad about it. But I think it would meet that because you start your turn with rolling the dice and then you decide what to do. What I tried to exclude was games, and I have more than a few that I like, where you try to maneuver so that your dice pool is the best, uh, like your un- your stronger unit is attacking or you're using the right weapon and all of that, and then you roll the dice and see what happens. It's mostly in fighting games. Pathfinder, the card game that I mentioned before, Descent is like that, uh, Battle is like that, or in more classic games, is the risk approach, right? Okay, I choose how many units I'm attacking you with, I choose to attack where you hopefully have fewer dice, and then I roll my attack, you roll your defense, and we simply resolve it. I like to focus on games, much like Run, Fight, or Die, where you roll the dice, see what you have to work with, potentially do something with it. In Run, Fight, or Die, you re-roll them. In other games, you modify them with a worker or anything like that. And then you spend them. And I think that's a different flavor. So it's using the dice rather than simply using dice exclusively for a resolution method. Okay. Yeah, that was my question. And then the other one was uh, Champions of Midgard. But I feel like you answered that. And I feel like it might be one of your games. Oh, yeah, it is. I know your tastes very well. Yes, and it was it ended up being harder, much harder than I expected. There are a lot that I do like, and again, they are not all euros because now that I'm thinking, I think that my probably my number three, I haven't clear ranking as I have other times, but it could very much be Run, Fight, or Die, which I think is by Richard Lonius. Um, I'm not 100% sure, is... A zombie game, until recently, the one zombie game that I didn't mind playing, uh, although we just got hit zero, and I don't mind that. Yeah, it is by Rich and Lonius. It was published by 8 Summit, I think. Gray Fox Games did a new edition now on Kickstarter. But it's basically a game in which you're trying to survive zombies, and you roll five dice plus an event die every, ra- every, every one of your turns. You re-roll Yahtzee style, and then you have some powers on your characters that allow you to use dice in a way or another. And then you see what happens. You can decide to spend the results in different ways. You choose which zombies to kill with your rolled guns or your rolled baseball bath. Or you can push zombies back with your run symbols. Or you can use the other two symbols, which I think are books and something else that I don't remember in various ways. You can use them to find the location. Or you can use them to, to find an event. So again, it's definitely a dice-based game. It's definitely a game that is about hoping to roll the right things at the beginning. But then there is a lot that you can do with the dice. And even with the same role, different characters and different players at different times can do different things. And the way you manage, I think what's really clever about that is that every player has this very simple board, which is simply three levels of zombies. And they keep piling on and moving back and forth on this board. They move forward on their own and you can push them back. And deciding where, when to kill which ones is... I, I find it very fun. 
I remember really enjoying that game, so that's why I was like, I was wondering if you were going to talk about it, so I'm glad that you did. What about you? I was just looking at it, very, I guess similarly, I was looking at where a game where the dice were more than just, you know, the little movement, or I didn't even think about fighting, because that's not even, that wouldn't, it wasn't even on my radar to think about those kinds of games. So instead, although I did pick one that is specifically for movement, so I guess I kind of lied, <laughs> but it's Camel Up. Okay, yeah, sure. Which is just for movement, but the fun part of the game, like it's a racing game where you're racing camels and they end up on stacks of each other and then they move and the ones that are on top of other ones get moved if one's underneath it move and it's chaotic and fun and a light racing game where you have little different things that you can do to try and get points or mess with the race order or things like that and then ultimately you're betting on the winner and and loser of the race and the winner is the person who has the most money at the end i really like it because it's yes it's just for movement but it's the randomness at which they come out so they are put inside of a pyramid and they come out one at a time and you have to do a specific action to get the dice out so you get money to roll the the dice out of the pyramid but it kind of puts you at a disadvantage because you are just giving information to everybody else and giving everyone else an opportunity to react to the new information yeah and it won the spieler crs in 2014 it's a game by stefan bogen i really really like it it's one of those games that of course we have not been playing during quarantine because it choirs and actually shines at five plus and I love it. I think it's brilliant. I agree that the dice are absolutely crucial. Uh, whenever I, I teach the game, I start by, let's talk how, about how the camels move, which is at the same time comparatively simple, but very intriguing, the way, the, way the, 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 the fact that the order they move in is random and crucial because the same roll, if you roll it before or after another camel, it will completely change the race. I guess the one reason I didn't consider it is that you don't roll your own dice and you, there is not much that you can do. But you're absolutely right. It's definitely a game that lives and dies by the dice. <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> I, I, when I was saying it. I miss it. I miss playing Camel Up. I actually am one of the few weirdos who prefer the old edition, the one that we have. No, I do too. Well, that makes us two weirdos. <laughs> I have heard only praise for the new one, but I love cardboard. So, for example, the cardboard pyramid uh, intrigues me more than the plastic pyramid in the new edition. I am curious about the new rules, but I find that the game is solid as it is and the cover of the new one is absolutely boring no no i'm very happy with with the edition we have yeah the old one more exemplifies the frantic nature of the game whereas the new one i feel like it looks too calm whereas the game is very frantic and very why are you rolling or i hope you don't roll this specific color or i you know i'm gonna put this modifier on this space oh why did you do that now i think that i'm gonna lose so it's it's very very frantic very chaotic but so fun oh and i just figured out i hadn't seen it in the flesh the new camels are plastic <laughs> yeah i mean i love my minis and i i do appreciate plastic when it's needed but 
the the camels were perfect. Okay, so that's camel up. Which to go back to the game and not to my feeling about the new edition. It's it's a great game. I can see a group that wouldn't have fun with it. I mean, if you don't want to have fun, that's uh, that's fair. But anyone can have fun with this with this game, and it's great. It plays differently if you play it with casual players or if you play with people that really really want to try and math it out but it still works i have played it with people who want to consider the probabilities and all of that and they get into this rabbit hole of sure all of this is the most likely but you just need (laughs) one variance to go a different way and all of your carefully crafted plans go off out the window and it's great and it's beautiful when someone goes i get this piece and everyone goes no but you're don't you see that only if this this and this happens that will happen and they probably don't know what they're doing but then the game turns and all of a sudden exactly that happens and they go well sure see i i did the right choice and it's lovely (laughs) it's absolutely lovely yeah so for my second pick i i thought of castle of burgundy but in a way it's a summary of all of Feld's approaches to dice, Merlin, Macau, Castle Burgundy and Bora Bora, but even the Oracle of Delphi. I think Castle Burgundy is the one that lives and dies, again, by the dice. So, But the way Feld does it is always more or less the same in so far as the dice are concerned, although the game experiences are very different, which is you have your own pool of dice compared to other games like Andosti Hotel or Lorenzo where there is, or Coimbra where there is a common pool of dice. And I think I slightly prefer the Feld approach, even if it includes more variability, more, more randomness, but it makes it more so that you can plan your turn and you can have some control on what you're doing rather than relying on someone not drafting your, your die. But in general, I think that Euro games where you have this, I like them all, all of these that I mentioned, I like quite a bit, where you have a series of dice and you have some limited power of modifying them, not too much. So the order in which you spend them and which ones you decide to modify, more classic Euro strategies. So it's another resource that puts constraints onto you. It's not simply is the action still open and do I have the resources to pay that's still there? But on top of that is, can I make that happen with the dice that I roll? Uh, and that takes the the variability of the dice and it makes it into a completely new puzzle every round. So it's almost as if it were a game where the replayability was moved from the arc of the game in general to the arc of each turn. And I think that's very, very clever. Yeah, it's a it's a good game. I haven't played it in a very, very long time, like I said. Yeah, but that applies also to, to, to games that you, you mention often, like Macau. In Macau, you have these dice and you have to deal with what it's rolled. And sometimes you would really need something different. Macau actually doesn't have mitigation per se, so it's a little harsher on the dice part. But I like that kind of style. I love Feld dice games. I've come to the conclusion. Although, you know what? I haven't played all of his games, so I won't say that. Mm -hmm. But every game that I've played of his that has dice in it, I've enjoyed. So the ones that you've mentioned, Macau, I really like. I also really like Merlin, which is my number two. Oh, that's that's really cool. Merlin by Stefan Feld, as we just mentioned, and from Queen Games. So this game, you have four dice, three of which move your own piece, and one of which moves a shared piece 
around a rondelle and the white piece controlled by the white die is Merlin. And so you're trying to use your dice in a way to get the best possible outcome because the order in which you play them matters because it will end you up on different spaces. Also, there are different ways for mitigation, which we said there are apples, which let you choose what the number is going to be. There are lots of different little powers that let you do something like use the action of a space that someone else is on instead of the space that you land on or use the action of the space that is directly across from you on the rondelle. There's even ones that let you move your, your pawn, your knight in the opposite direction. So there's lots of different ways to affect what you roll. So that way you're not completely stuck out of things. It still is hard and, and very difficult to, rely on those things because they are very hard to come by. They are resources that you need for other things. So you are essentially, you know, using them up for to better use dice, but sometimes it's worth it. You have to weigh that out. And it's such a good game. I love the art. I love the medieval feel of it. I love everything about it. I am sad now because I still have my Arthur expansion in shrink. I still have my Knights of the Round Table in shrink. And that is because every time I play it, I'm teaching it. Every time I've played it, I've been so teaching it. So I really it. look forward to the Arthur expansion. I, From what I see, the, the Knight of the Round Table would probably not be my style of expansion. It introduces player powers. But one thing that I... There are two things that I think Merlin does very well in terms of dice. It's, it's a great game on its own it has the the missions and all of that there are a lot of things that i like but two things that are new even compared to feld approaches to to dice one is that as we mentioned before the mitigation the strongest factor of mitigation is in which order you use the dice because since you move on a sequential rondelle just using dice in different orders completely changes which actions you will take and that's already very interesting and the other thing is that in Bora Bora, in Oracle of Delphi, in Castle of Burgundy, you always have more manipulation of dice than in uh, Merlin, but with resources that are meant just for that. So you can have a power that allows you to add one or reduce one, or you can have a token that allows you to change the face of the die. But all of these things are used only for that. So once you have them, that's why you have them. So you might as well spend them on that. Yeah, they're usually worth like half a point at the end of the game, the workers in Castle Burgundy or the lightning bolts in uh, Oracle of Delphi. But what Merlin does that I think is very interesting, and it's not surprising that is the one that he did with someone else, with Michael Raniak. The resources that you use, as you were saying, to modify the dice are also resources that you use otherwise to, to score. You need to have them to score score points in with through the missions so by using your modification you are not simply giving up that half a point at the end of the game but you're actually reducing your options to score and so that's a very tricky balance to achieve and creates a lot of tension i think i feel like i don't change the face of the die that often because the apples specifically are very difficult to come by you can only get them through one space on the whole board yep. and that's getting the grail 
And so that once you have that resource, it's the easiest way to change the dice into something that you need. But I feel like I don't use that one very often. It also, those are points at the end. And it's more fun for me, I feel, to try and figure out how to best use what I've get, been given. It's a very fun game. It's very good experience. I've, I've always enjoyed it. And I'm excited for the big box to be coming. Yes. And I look forward to, to that. I know very little about the other expansion the big expansion Arthur and now there is also a new one coming I think right yep Morgana so my my last one with an honorable mention to mostly the Gillies that those group of Italian designers that did Coimbrag and those hotel Lorenzo and all of that which I do like but they, they don't offer me a completely different experience from from what I experienced in, in Feld the one that you mentioned before Champions of Midgard is probably not my favorite game among all of these that we mentioned although I really do like it and it's a game that I really really like revisiting but I think what it does with DICE is great and feels at the same time familiar and unique. It's familiar because you are rolling dice to kill the monsters, right? Which is, again, going back to risk, rolling dice to kill something else is very old in games. And then we have all of a loot of miniature games in which you do just that. But the way it works is also very new. So Champions of Midgard is, at its core, a worker placement game where among the things that you collect are dice, which are your Viking warriors and while you do that you are also placing your workers on spaces to fight so you are both getting the resources to fight and using your resources reserving the right to fight and so even if then the moment where you spend these resources is a moment of randomness there are enough ways to plan there are re-rolls usually the fight against the monster which is basically trying to get a certain amount of symbols before your dice run out. It's resolved over a few rounds. So while there is the occasional disaster, normally, overall, you feel at the end of the game what you did and not the dice you rolled determine who won it. And I really like it. It's exciting. It's one of those games which I think it's a big dig against the original game. I, I think that's, that's not a great thing. That's a very bad thing about the game. It's a game that is okay, fun enough in its basic form and gets to a great game with the expansions. And people always say, see, this is how you do expansion. But my answer is, see, this is how you don't do a game. (laughs) Uh, Because it seems that I don't know what the design process was. I don't know if Ole Steiners, the designer, had envisioned everything and then had to strip it down to make it marketable. Or if vice versa, they put out this game that was not exciting enough and then they built upon it to make it crunchy in the things where it was lacking as it stands the idea of playing again the base game would be absolutely a no for me but (laughs) with the expansion it's great because a you get something even when your warriors that's your dice die so when you you want to have some dice that get consumed and spend these resources to get different resources so it enhances the idea of these are not just dice they are part of this worker placement resource management game and the other thing is that it gave you instead of three kind of dice there are now seven and managing the different ones different dice are best in different situation rather than in the base game where more or less there were three degrees of dice that were increasingly better now choice are more difficult there are more ways to get dice so that competition is a little more open 
It also gives you a little bit more power so that you can achieve more. And so it's a great game that not only got better with the expansion, but also the dice part got better. And I really can't recommend it enough if you can go for all of it, though. And that's a weird thing for a game, in my opinion. And the art is great. Not memorable, I think. Not to tell other people to, oh, you should definitely hire this this artist. But solid, good art, evocative. I, I really, really like the game. And it's from Gray Fox Games. Yeah, I think it was the, the first big success. I like the game... I haven't played it in in a very long time, so I feel like that should be one on the docket next time we get together to play games. Sure thing. So my final game on my list is one that I thought the way that you use the dice is so fun. It's such a different tactile experience. You are making your dice to be useful for you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, dice Forge? Yeah, Dice Forge. So Dice Forge is a game from Regis bon- Bonassi from Libelude slash Asmodee. And it is a game where you are trying to obtain different resources to buy cards. And sometimes the cards will give you powers, but ultimately you're trying to get points. And the thing that is so unique and different about this game is that you have dice that are at the beginning and everyone has the same kind of dice. And instead of getting new dice or better dice, like in just like a whole new die, you have the option of purchasing different faces for the die. So you remove the old face that you want to get rid of and sort of upgrade it. And there's no limit to how you upgrade them. There's no, you have to remove this kind of thing to replace it with this kind. There's nothing like that. So you're making, you're customizing these dice to be how you want them to be for the game. And I think that it is so cool and so fun to pop off the little sides and get to roll something completely different and it's fun to see that as you progress throughout the game you're making your dice so much better and and you're getting so many better things it's just a lot of fun and i really think that the building of the die is something unique that i've never seen before and something that is just a great concept to be able to customize the die that you want to be playing with. And I think that Bonacci, um not only it does games that I usually like quite a bit, but they are all very unique. Lots of city, this is, seasons. Oh, is really? Game. Yeah, and all of these games, I probably like the other two more than Dice Forge, but still Dice Forge was very different. Well, first of all, it has fantastic art, as it's often the case with Libelud games. But I remember having a great brand new experience in playing it. I'm not convinced that I would love to go back to it multiple times. But that's more about the fact that I I feel like I explored the game a lot. But I remember that this, as you were saying, making your own dice. I love custom dice. I love dice that don't simply tell you, oh, you roll a four rather than rolling a two. But oh, you roll blue spheres rather than red lenses and you can do different things with one and the other. And this brings it to to its apotheosis because you can put more gold to do kind of a deck builder, kind well, dice builder in this case, and buy more faces. Or you can go straight up for the points. Or you can get the weird powers that when they activate, they're great, but obviously it's just one face on a die. So you cannot rely on those. And I think 
I think it's great. And there's an expansion, Dice Forge Rebellion. Oh, I will definitely try that. Because again, to be fair, I, I was a little unjust when I said I wouldn't like to play it again. I would like to play even the base game at least another time because in the box, there are two basically almost two complete sets of options that you can use for cards that you can buy because you can buy the faces of the dice but then you score cards and the cards that you buy do something so yeah i definitely play it again even without the expansion but even so more with with the expansion yeah there are two two modules in it so dice forge rebellion has the labyrinth of goddesses which gives you a golem and you're supposed to push it down into the labyrinth to get things and then revolt of the titans a new and it introduces a new resource and do they give you also more faces for your dice it seems like they do yeah yes 32 die faces yep new die faces new cards i mean you want new dice faces come on to to build your dice <laughs> yeah i do i do i do but i i mean i own it so yeah i i will play it as soon as we can to finish up with this dice i want to mention uh, not a game, but a story that actually touches on two very famous dice-using games. One is Kingsburg that we mentioned before, which I find very fun, although a little simple, maybe. And the other one is Alien Frontiers. So, fun enough, I like Kingsburg way more than I like the other, but the nice story about the two is that the designer of Alien Frontiers heard about Kingsburg, a game where you roll dice and you combine them to get resources to then build buildings. And the imagine how the game uh, would be. And then when the game came out and he tried the game, he figured out that it was a completely different game that he imagined. And hence, he realized that he now had a game ready, which ended up becoming Alien Frontiers. And I think that this story speaks wonders to how dice have gone from, as we were mentioning, rolling to see who kills more units or rolling to see how far you can move to a very vibrant part of our hobby where you can use dice to do very different things because playing a game of Dice Forge or playing a game of Coimbra almost don't feel like they're using the same thing, right? One is explosive and growing and exciting and seeing what you roll is going to be the, the crux of the game and modifying the die. And the other Coimbra is, or you roll the dice and then you draft them. So they, they create a set of static situation that you have now to deal with. And they both rely on something as simple as a die. And I find that that, that doesn't apply to any other component. Uh, because even cards, uh, we saw how cards can be used for different things, but it still comes down to, well, a card is a good place to put written rules, right? There is something more immediate while the way dice went from simply oh let's quantify how much i can do and also often the higher the better to instead all of these complicated interactions i think it's fascinating yeah i think it's cool we had so many different genres of games we had fighting we had racing we had euros we had all these different things and it's just so interesting how Something as simple as saying, you know, dice games, we came up with completely different and varied games. And I think it's cool that we have such a plethora of of games to choose from. Indeed. And I think that brings us to the close of today's episode, which has been Dicey Situations. So this has been episode 12 of our board game Gambit. Thank you for listening. As always, you can find us on social media, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and 
all at Board Game Gambit. And if you would be so kind, we would love if you would share our podcasts with friends and leave us a comment or two and we will get back to you. So signing out, I'm Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.